and welcome to the third episode of the Two Brits, One Orange Ball podcast. I'm joined again by my bald-headed friend, Mark Irwin. What is up, Jeffrey? How are you, my man? You good? Yeah, yeah, not too bad, mate. A um, bit of a, a challenging week, as it has been for everyone, but not, not too bad. How about yourself? Not too bad, buddy. Not too bad. I actually managed to get a little bit more sleep. Um, the, the excitement from the uh, Jordan documentary is... is slightly weighing off but obviously it will build up again ready for the uh, the next third and fourth installment on Sunday can't wait and 100% man very excited for that and I think obviously there's been quite a lot of news this week in terms of what's been happening locally uh, in the British Basketball League and the impacts that, that COVID-19 has, has had on that which is not not a good viewing at all but you know I think that there are still positives out there Llewellyn and Pops specifically saying you know, they may have willingness to invest in the BBL franchise in the future and their Instagram live series which has been really really excellent for those of you that have watched it it's a challenging time for everyone I think Sam Hoopsfix has already said that the impact is likely to be in in the millions for the BBL clubs just the O2 Arena BBL finals has taken out £250,000 worth of, of revenue so straight away that's the big impact but quite reassuringly and condescending to to the telegraph article that we we saw earlier this week that said british basketball might be a thing of the past which obviously made me pretty worried straight away it's been reported that that is probably unlikely it's it's not likely that we'll be losing any franchises according to sam so that's good to see and he's obviously spoken to kevin routledge to, to source that information so difficult week in terms of the bbl side we'll, we'll, we'll obviously move on to talking more about the balls next again later on this podcast focusing primarily on front office moves and trade rumors and but in terms of the bbl mate i know you're quite close to the wolves you've watched them for many years alongside your dad so i think for yourself personally what, what was your reaction to that news? Yeah, just to be honest with you, like yourself and lo- lots of people around connected with the BBL, obviously concerned. Really, really great that you just come out and obviously Sam's had those reports to say that the BBL is, is at this stage is, isn't going to be sacrificing any franchises. Went to University of Worcester, grew up with that and, and obviously my dad as well enjoyed many, many games past season. My dad's a season ticket holder for the Wolves and I know he absolutely loves it. So really, really hope like everyone else that we can get to some degree of normality sooner rather than later. I hope that everyone is staying safe and healthy at this stage. Ultimately for us, like many others, we're just trying to do the best we can in these uncertain times. And and hopefully, you know, our content can give people a little bit of respite and a little bit of joy, even for, you know, only a short space of time. Exactly that, mate. And it's part of the reason we started this pod, I think, is the reason that we actually had time to do it. So it's always, there's always silver lines with these things. It's quite interesting to see that the, the Czech Republic has started to reopen borders today and, you know, it's decreasing restrictions on social distancing, allowing gatherings of up to sort of 10 people now. So that's positive to see in some ways, you know, potentially negative, depending on what you think of the science and whether we should be doing that at this early stage. But they've got a lot of precautionary measures in there in terms of testing and ensuring that when people do come back from, from travelling abroad that they are tested and if they have any symptoms they'll be put into isolation very interesting to see that you know somewhere in europe is already starting to, to kind of ease restrictions and as you say i'm hoping that it will begin to normalize for the rest of us uh, pretty soon moving on to front office moves then mate obviously there's been some movement from both the bulls and knicks sides um, so obviously uh, brooke orler the vice president of strategy for the knicks a long time fixture with the cleveland cavaliers is certainly nearing a deal anyway with Leon Rose and the Knicks. Orla would be viewed as chief of staff and ultimately he, he would assist in future hirings and oversee the team's finances. He's 
widely regarded as a top apologist. For those of you who don't know what that means, it basically means that he would have valuable expertise in, in the mechanics of salary caps, player compensations. Following the league suspension of the season and potential cancellation, it's obviously unclear at this stage how, how revenue losses will be impacted. Front office manoeuvrings, they could be impacted. Nevertheless, an interesting sequence of events for, for my Knicks, and I think that it's one that needs to be closely monitored. I think it could pre, be a prerequisite for, for further office exits and changes for the Knicks. Uh, obviously, David Blatt was released by the team last week following a brief consultancy role, and it does, in my mind, leave things a little bit murky um, for the current front office uh, setup. Yeah, absolutely, mate. And um, obviously, there's been some moves for the Bulls as well. The obvious firing of Gar Foreman has, has, has gone down pretty well, <laughs> I'd say, um, with the Bulls, Bulls fans. It was interesting that Carlos Hovis came out and said that, you know, straight away, there's there's obviously a difference in philosophies and, and we'll be moving forward pretty much with immediate effects. So that's been positive for us. And we've already been linked with a numerous assistant GMs from the Sixers, Clippers and, and Magic, uh, namely in, in Mark Eversley, uh, Mark Hughes and, and Matt Lloyd. Um, but the big interesting one for me is, is, is Michael Finley and more and more coming out about him. He, he's the, the current uh, VP of, of basketball operations for the Dallas Mavericks, just reported by ESPN quite recently that there's, there's interest between both parties in, in him becoming the new GM for the Bulls, which is, is fantastic to see. Again, a Chicago native, someone that spent sort of seven years working his way through the Mavericks front office after playing in the NBA for 15 seasons. So again, it's always nice to have that, that player element. And it, weirdly for me, Mark Cuban actually came out in support of that move in Sports Illustrated earlier this month, saying he'd be sort of amazing for the Bulls in a lead executive spot, which... For someone in such a high position in his own organisation, I thought was a little bit strange that he'd advocate removing essentially one of his key members of staff away to someone else. But you can't argue with what the Mavs have done in, in building with, with people like Don Jitson, unfortunately for you, mate, Porzingis. represents <laughs> um, <laughs> another you know, well-regarded candidate, and I'm hoping that it will it will mean good things for the Bulls. But yeah, coaching is another in the next one up, I suppose. You've been linked to a certain Tom Tilbadell, which we briefly discussed in the last pod, but it's becoming more serious now and uh, I know there's been potentially some news that he might be the exclusive candidate for the Knicks so let me know your thoughts on that first and foremost and I'll, I'll defend tips as much as I can which I think maybe the, maybe the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well yeah I mean obviously uh, Thibodeau as you know former Bulls and Timberwolves head coach and is widely revered for his defensive basketball mind and I think that's a, an ideology that would certainly be welcomed in New York Jay seen by many around the league as a traditionalist both uh, positive or negative. I think that Thibodeau's inclusion would likely lead to a, a significant improvement on the defensive end of the floor, as seen in his previous stops. I think you guys ranked as a top 10 defence throughout his tenure with the team. The young defensive orientated players on the Knicks, namely Frank Nidakina, Mitchell Robinson, I think would likely flourish under Thibodeau's led system. I think placing emphasis on defence as a priority could be reminiscent of, of Nick's successes of old. Uh, Tibbs was obviously part of many of those past successes, being an assistant with the team from 96 to 2004. Obviously, the negative surrounding Tibbs is his minutes distribution. Negative connotations have been associated with Thibodeau over exerting star players, leading to decreased longevity and arguably meaning that players are more prone to injuries. Unfortunately, Derek Rose and, and Joakim Noah come to mind. I think that's a slightly concerning concept for me, Jay, particularly when we're looking at teams that are, are trying to build young and exciting cores. And what are your thoughts? 
I mean, it's, it's a very long, a long answer, unfortunately, but you know, I think it's really interesting to see how different players react to tips because you hear all of the same arguments each and every time his name is mentioned. He's always in rumours for when new coaching um, positions become available. The, that argument that you mentioned in terms of drawing his players always, always comes up. But speaking from a ball standpoint and obviously having him as coach for a number of years, I just would happen to stumble upon a quote from the old thing sort of saying that Coach Tibbs is one of the best coaches that he's ever played for. And, and when you have a coach like that, his basketball IQ is obviously off the charts. He's known for working extremely hard on his craft specifically. And I think it's smart to listen to him, he said, uh, and have a relationship where you always understand where he's coming from. Now, to me, the world's probably the most hard-worked player from the Bulls tenure by Tibbs. He's known for playing sometimes 40 plus to 48 minutes throughout his entire career, really, with the Bulls. And even Levine, who, who Tibbs traded away, come out and said, look, he gave him the opportunity. He put the ball in my hands at the age of 20, 21 years old. And he comes out and said, you know, that, that's bigger than basketball and, and obviously had high praise for him. So it's, there's a mixture of reactions. I think the only particularly critical review of Tibbs is from Carl Anthony Towns saying that his development style was was a slap in the face but I know he's going through a hard time at the moment so I'm not I'm not going to necessarily be critical of him but I, I think if I was to take the general consensus of terms of who's played for him and the vibes from those people I think it's generally more positive than negative and, and you know obviously I would say that having having him as the head coach in, in the heyday of balls and basketball that I've watched but if you just look at the history you know in, in the five years that he was head coach the franchise was 255 to 139 which is a, a 0.67647 winning percentage so it's not not bad at all. He posted a, a franchise best 86 consecutive game streak without losing more than two games in a row, which obviously says a lot about the defensive mentality that, that you mentioned. And in terms of in close game winning percentage, he was at six six 6.626 percentage. So it's not bad at all. And Tibbs only actually had Rose for sort of 47% of the games that he coached with the Bulls, which I think says a lot about the argument of he benefited from all these different players. Because as I mentioned in the previous pod, he, we as a team really struggled to score even when Rose was on the floor. Specifically, you know, when we, we lost the scoring element of, of Ben Gordon and John Salmons and players of that nature. He obviously improved when, when people like Boozer and, and even Rip Hamilton came on the scene. But Rose, when Rose was on the floor, he won 73% of those games. The argument that he can't bring together a team without a superstar, I don't think is valid. I mean, you look at what he's done for, for point guards throughout his tenure. Everyone from Nate Robinson, who I know I think had some of his better years with with the team to Aaron, Aaron Brooks, uh, Deidre Augustine, you know, those are the players that, that kind of come to mind. And Jimmy Butler has come out and said, like I tell everyone, Tibbs, Tibbs is a big part and you can tell I'm I'm smiling because it's the truth. He's he's kind of the part of the reason that he is the player he is today. So so yeah, I mean, generally you couldn't get much more of a positive from from the people that have played for him at the bigger points of their career. Do I think obviously the, the valid arguments are there, of course. We've already said that I'm not sure that he would be my first choice of, of head coach right now for, for the reasons that even Paul Pierce has come out and said on, on ESPN that, you know, it's the relatability to players that he worries about specifically with him. He would potentially look, look towards, you know, more of a, a Ty Lue type that obviously has that 
that player element and and is a bit younger. So, yeah, mate, lo- lots of different considerations. You, I mean, it's 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 pretty obvious what my thoughts are going to be in terms of what he he has done for the Bulls organization and what he potentially could do for yourselves. But I, I personally wouldn't be worried about those younger younger players. I think he did a great job when he was with it, with the Bulls, and it would be very interesting to see him in a head coaching position again. I think for me, Thibodeau's adaptability principle, Jay. I think that's likely going to be whether or not he is deemed a success in New York. I mean, utilising modern science and team concepts, I think are paramount. I think, as we sort of said previously, today's NBA, there is much emphasis on load management and resting players. And obviously that's a polarising topic for a guy who's, like you say, been deemed to sometimes over-exude his players, perhaps. But in my mind, I think if he's able to, to adapt and to some to some degree uh, connect with this generation's NBA player, I absolutely second that. Um, and I, in, in terms of his work ethic and his um, the history of, of what he's achieved thus far as an assistant going back with the Knicks and then more recently with the Boston Celtics uh, and obviously yourselves, there's no doubt in the guy's credentials and basketball knowledge. And in terms of building a defensive identity and some sort of team culture, that's something that's been solely lacking in New York for many, many years now. And I'm hoping that if we are able to get a guy of Tibbs' um, you know, magnitude I'd be more than happy with that. And I, and I think that would definitely steer the team in the right way. You already have Taj Gibson, so you won't need to trade for him. <laughs> He's about 40 now, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know what I mean? Like in terms of, uh, you know, Tibbs type players that know his system, that are vets. He's got a very specific type of player that he likes. And, and obviously Taj is one of them and you know I know he's 35 now and I think that was one of the bigger criticisms of him in, in Minnesota obviously and that he brought pretty much the entire <laughs> organization in terms of players from about 2013 over a, a pretty valid criticism but also says a lot to the guy's loyalty for me what he was able to do for Derek Rhodes specifically in that 50 point game and and just reigniting his career obviously meant, meant quite a lot to me. But even seeing the wall suit up again was, was great. But yeah, I think you're absolutely right. His adaptability, his, his, his respect that is you know, gathered from the wider league is, is there. But he, he probably needs to stay away from uh, yeah, do, doing those sorts of moves again. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, just moving on to the, the ball side of things as well, Jay. Obviously, there's been much conjecture whether or not Jim Boylan is going to uh, remain uh, for you guys as, as a head coach. Um, what are your sort of feelings on it and what have you kind of heard your end in terms of a potential replacement? Well, I mean, kind of said if this has already said that he's declined to comment and make a first firm statement about Boylan's job security, which for me says it all. Um, there's no specifics that have come out about who who will be lined up for that head coaching spot, but there's a bit of conjecture there, which we'll, we'll go on to in a minute. But specifically for, for Boylan, I mean, he gets a, he gets a bad rap in, in some respects. I mean, in terms of his credentials, you know, he's, he's been with the Rockets for a number of years when they won two championships. So he was there for 11 seasons before becoming sort of an assistant coach with the Golden State Warriors and Milwaukee Bucks. He's obviously another one of those people who is Pop's Padawan, should we say, <laughs> to use a Star Wars reference because I'm that nerdy. He's one of the disciples of one of the best coaches of all time. So you have to give him that respect. He was with, with him for sort of two years between 2013 and 2015. Do I think two years of credentials with a coach of that calibre gives you enough to be a head coach? Possibly not. Uh, I think that's where, where he, he kind of lacks experience. Even at the college level, when he was with the University of Utah, he sort of coached in that programme from 2007 to 2011. And 
was actually fired by them in 2011, which um, again is a bit of a worrying sign, should we say. And I, I personally view him more as a college coach and that's no disrespect to him. I just don't think he's, he's necessarily ready for that, that head coach position in the NBA, very much like Fred Hoiberg. So it's interesting that we seem to have gone for that, that route um, in more college-centric approach. And, and for me, I'd quite like us to see a return to hiring NBA caliber coaches and people with proven experience. I know yourselves, it would be 14th coach in 20 seasons if you were to get tips this year. But if we were to bring someone on, we've been used to a certain level of consistency, obviously, with, with Tibbs. And the names that have been floated around obviously include Thibodeau, but also Adrian Griffin, who, again, is, whilst you know he's been on the Tibbs Tib staff, which is interesting um, in, in the past, he's another guy who... I think it is not not necessarily proven at an NBA level as a head coach. So for that reason, I'm a little bit unsure. He's obviously spent a number of years as an assistant coach with the Raptors as well, basically on the staff of uh, GB great Nick Nurse. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sold on him either. And and, and finally, obviously, we've got the the Kenny Atkinson rumor. Um, obviously, the former Nets Nets coach. And whilst I very much respect what he's done with that franchise, I think it was always maybe set up from a strategic standpoint that they would look for someone with more experience when they got the players of calibre that they have in, in, in KD and Kyrie. And even Russell and Levert to some extent and, and when they fully blossom. So I'm not sure I'd want to bring in someone of that either because arguably you've got a similar stage, I suppose, in where we are as a franchise in the rebuild. But I personally would like to see someone that has championship aspirations to align with Karnas Sovis's rhetoric of the, the goal of this is to, to win, not to be eighth seed in the Eastern Conference, which is something that seems to be seen as a positive now. In the past, that's, that would be the worst case scenario. And I'd obviously like to see the Bulls franchise back at a stage where they're disappointed to be in the middle pack of the Eastern Conference playoff bracket, not fighting for the eighth seed. I want that. 2012, 20, 2011 to 2012 period back where we're first in the conference. So no one I'm, I'm dead set on so far in terms of rumours for us, but all interesting. I don't know in terms of conjecture as to what kind of service we'll be thinking. It's one to keep an eye on for sure. I think it's um, a very interesting uh, debate and topic, Jay. And, and again, strangely for our organisations and franchises, very similarly mir- uh, mirrored. Um, obviously, in contrast, Mike Miller, the interim coach of this past season, who took over from David Fisdale following his departure early in the year, he came from a, a developmentary system and was the former West uh, Chester Knicks head coach and also led the 28 summer team in Vegas, where actually Mitchell Robinson excelled after being selected 36 overall in the draft of that year. Contrast to potential Tibbs concerns, he's been sort of touted as really been able to connect, connect with the young players on the team, which I think is obviously a, a really really big credential and, and essentially um, a really important variable to consider if Miller is to remain as Nick's head coach and be brung back this next season. It was reported that Robinson was deemed um, very, very coachable and that actually he went and worked out with Miller in the off-season working on his shot-making, his ball-handling, an overall game. And obviously they, you know, that, that sort of translated to when uh, Mike Miller was, was named the interim head coach. So if the foundations of, of the relationship with Mitch translates and if there's anything to go by with that then I think other young players on the team namely RJ Frank and Kevin Knox I think that could you know be a really 
uh, important variable in, ex in establishing an exciting and optimistic product on the court. And there's no reason why Mike Miller shouldn't be in contention for the job at this stage. Who's to say, you know, you couldn't have Tibbs as an assistant coach to someone like that? I mean, I think it's unlikely and it might might even switch the other way around. But, you know, we had that argument <laughs> earlier earlier this week in terms of just imagine if you could bring in a coaching staff such as Tibbs from a defensive specialism and obviously Dan Tony from, from the Rockets standpoint offensively. I don't know how that would work in terms of salaries and, and, and specifics in terms of front office moves because they're, you know, two highly flouted, I suppose, head coaches. But for me, it's, it's quite surprising that we see the big threes in the NBA in terms of players. Maybe it would be an, an idea in a time maybe to have the big three in terms of coaches as well and, and bring in that sort of calibre of, of coaching system. For me personally, and again, I've not played to anywhere near this standard, but if, if you had the option of two absolute specialists in both offensive and defensive capabilities on, in one franchise with a, in a well-respected you know, big market team, uh, for me, that would be such a big bonus. It, I don't know how plausible it is, and I think you know, with Dan Tony's contract coming to the end for, for the Rockets this year, it'll be it'd be interesting to see what does happen with that. But just in terms of options out there, I think it would be pretty fascinating to see. But in terms of Mike Miller's development, Tibbs came in from a similar situation in that he was an assistant coach for a long time, as you say, with, with Boston. He's credited Reinsdorf for giving him his big first chance. So it's definitely an unexact science, but. Um, it'll be interesting regardless and I think it will you know be quite a crucial decision for both franchises because at the end of the day they're as well as the roster it's going to be the people that the free agents of 2021 look at onto trade options on that note in terms of trying to to strengthen our organizations is there anyone that's out there at the moment currently for yourselves that you're you're particularly high on the Knicks and trades uh, my bro always go a list you don't know really what to believe I mean um, I, as a Knicks fan I've been scarred so many times over the years that I always try to keep grounded when I hear these crazy names being associated with our team free agency of 2010 and obviously more recently with KD and Kyrie this past summer but as a player agent in, in Leon Rose um, obviously he's experienced the intricacies of the NBA, establishing player relationships and player recruitment. And ultimately for Knicks fans, as it always is, the hope is that Rose is now the figurehead for the Knicks, facilitating landing that premier star for NBA's Broadway, if you like, uh, via trades or free agencies. In the things that have kind of been out there over the past sort of week or so, Donovan Mitchell has been sort of linked with the team. The initial reports of relationship between Mitchell and teammate Rudy Gobert were, were actually unsalvageable following Gobert's behaviour prior to the, the COVID-19 shutdown. Um, steps have since been taken to make peace, but obviously there's no smoke without fire. And, and one would surmise potentially that the Jazz would be more inclined to keep Mitchell Mitchell, uh, and try and move Gobert but I think that the Knicks assets that we've attributed uh, could be an enticing one so one of the trade scenarios that I've kind of suggested or put together would be Donovan Mitchell and Royce O'Neal uh, for RJ Barrett and a 2020 lottery pick and one of the future first round picks that were acquired in the Porzingis trade. I think that the strengths are that obviously Donovan Mitchell is an exciting two-way player he's fearless and he's got a multifaceted skill set. Best position I think is still a bit of an unknown I think he's an underrated passer uh, and although that's not his pure skill I think it's something that he can build on despite comparisons between D Dwayne Wade and James Harden would New York flourish with Mitchell as its primary ball handler I'm not sure I think that's something that stood up for, for debate however if we're able to keep Frank and obviously under a, a Tibbs led system 
I think that that could be quite a dynamic defensive uh, tandem in Mitchell and Nina Kenya. And obviously Mitchell being able to take some of the offensive pressure off of Frank and ultimately off of the team as a primary scorer. There were many times last season where the Knicks just struggled to score the ball um, and at times were, I think, overly uh, reliant on Julius Randle. And I think that contributed to frustrations on the team and and ultimately offensive breakdowns. And, and Julius, you know, perhaps not being able to to take on that offensive burden as much as you would have liked as a as ultimately the the you know the ultimate first team scoring threat so we'll just have to wait and see but uh, i think it could be a great trade for both teams i think that as i said before rj's got tremendous upside and i would be sorry to see him go however when you get a, a chance to pull the trigger on on a trade, uh, uh, getting a player of Mitchell uh, Mitchell's talent, averaging 24 points, four rebounds, four assists this past season, and ultimately still growing at the ripe age of 23, I think that that would be a very exciting prospect for Knicks fans. And I think it is a realistic concept to think about. Going going back to that dynamic between Gobert and, and Donovan Mitchell, I again, it's it's very up in the air as to how, how much truth there is to that. I mean, I know that Joe Ingles quite quickly after the announcement was made sort of tweeted just the word, well, the letters LOL <laughs> on Twitter, <laughs> which, uh, again, finding the truth in these reports is always difficult. They've kind of come out more recently and said that they've patched things up a little bit or seem to have. Obviously, the dynamic between Donovan Mitchell, Gobert and Conley is a big three. It's whether the Jazz are ready to say that that hasn't worked. Obviously, it hasn't been as smooth as they liked. And at the beginning of the season, the Jazz were sort of in conversations and up there in terms of a potential championship contender. So it's whether from from their standpoint, they'd be willing to let go of a, a potential franchise player in Mitchell for a relatively unproven pr- prospect in RJ. But, you know, you know my feelings on RJ. I, since the draft, I've been... I've been quite high on him and I think he will get more of a chance to sign should he shine, should he stay with New York. Obviously, having played in, in college with Zion, I think possibly hindered his progression a little bit because he had to defect to him somewhat. All, all very interesting stuff. To go back to Julius Randle, you know, we've had discussions in the season already where I think I, I almost sympathise with him to an extent because he's been put in a position where he's on a team that's relatively young. He's been put in a position of responsibility as as potentially one of the primary scorers on that team. And I think roles in basketball are something that's incredibly, incredibly important and not talked about enough in that if you know your role on a basketball team, things work really well. And I think perhaps Julius has been put into a position where he's in a role that doesn't really fit his skill set with all due respect. And you saw that in the way he was forcing offense at the beginning of the season, which was we talked about that you were frustrated by. You can also sympathize why. At the end of the day, if you're not scoring much, it comes back to the mellow syndrome that we talked about earlier in the Knicks earlier days where he, he was putting up a lot of shots, some of them very unadvised. But Jeff Van Gundy has come out and said in the commentary a few times, he'd rather mellow take a very contested two-point shot fading away than Landry Fields spotting up <laughs> and just taking the three or whoever it might be. So there's those arguments there and I think it's a little bit um, unfair to Julius Randall in, in some of those arguments that you know he has just been put under that pressure in this team lineup. So as you say, it would be interesting to see him on another team where perhaps his role is a little bit more fitted to, to what he can do as a team, uh, as, as a player, sorry. So definitely a very interesting one for you, mate. Moving on, mate, um, for the ball side of things, what's your sort of trade scenario that you would potentially like to see? Who are you wanting to get on your team at this stage? 
Uh, well, I don't know if I have necessarily a like to see. And I'm just going to go off rumours that are surrounding the Bulls at the moment. And Chris Paul. And I know Chris, is, Chris Paul has been linked to both the Knicks and the Bulls. And it's a very interesting one. You can't take away from the player that Chris Paul is. You know, arguably one of the best point guards of this generation. I love the way he plays basketball. He plays that system and that style that I love in that he's, you know, a point guard in, in the very traditional sense and tries to make the team better, develops young players and will always look for that best shot, which we were talking about again in, in the first pod. So from a playing style, I would love to see him as a ball. The big hesitancy, I suppose, it would come in his terrible contract <laughs> of nearly 40 million in 2021 wow. which you know for a guy that's going to be I believe 36 and for, for a team where we're looking to you know open up cap space in that year specifically um, it might not be specifically advisable um, but you know the International Business Times have come out and said there's rumours that the Bulls are looking for potentially a Chris Paul and Zach Levine tandem and I know Kobe White is, is a former camp attendee of Chris Paul's camp and they're extremely close so in terms of his development, having someone of the calibre of Chris Paul to, to show him the ropes would be fantastic. And I've looked at the numbers and, and played around a little bit with the ESPN trade hub and could do a, a Chris Paul trade for his contract with getting rid of Satoransky, Thad Young and Felicia. Now, whether I think, do I think the Thunder would necessarily want to do that? Maybe they would, you know, because at the end of the day, they've, they've got Shea, Shea Gildress Alexander and point guard of a good calibre that's obviously a rising star that they, they could give more minutes to. And they could add, you know, some, some vets in Satoransky and, and Thad Young. There's the obvious arguments against Chris Paul again in his locker room setup and how he's somewhat upset players in the past. But you can't deny his leadership <laughs> and, and, and what he's done for the Thunder this year. You know, look, look they're, they've got a better record than the Rockets, which is a big fuck you to James Harden and Russell Westbrook, which I love, after being traded for them. So it, it would be a really interesting thing to see whether it makes much sense it is another thing. But that's my initial thoughts on Chris Paul, mate. What about yourself? I mean, obviously, the Knicks have been linked with him as well. And do you think he's a fit on the Bulls? What, what are your thoughts? Uh, look, I, I second that, Jay, for the most part in terms of what you've said. I mean, in all fairness to, to Paul, he was averaging nearly 18 points and just under seven assists this season. He's a fantastic floor general, despite initial team concerns, as you've kind of alluded to. Paul's addition to the Thunder did show a degree of adaptability. And I think the young players in Shea seem to flourish under his tutelage. And quite rightly, you know, the Thunder were 40 and 24 at the conclusion of or the suspension of this season in the West. And at age 34, though, for me, is he worth 40 million in 2021 as an injury-prone, undersized guard at this stage? I, I don't know, Jay. Personally, I wouldn't want to pull the trigger as a Knicks fan just because of that contract. And I know that that's going to be up for debate and conjecture because of our current point guard situation or that the lack thereof. But I just think that it's difficult for teams. I mean, in a utopian world, teams always preach about building the right way through the draft and, and establishing a young core via player development. I mean, we've seen extreme successes uh, in the Spurs and Warriors in recent years adopting that approach. But more often than not, as we know, as Bulls and Knicks fans, it can be very, very frustrating when those young pieces don't always translate to wins on the court. And ultimately, when you do have the opportunity to pull the trigger and get these sorts of players, sometimes you just have to roll the dice. And ultimately, does Chris Paul make your team better? 
Yes, I have no doubt that he would. Would he make my Knicks better? Yes, absolutely. Mm. Listen to what we currently have. And, that, and that's no disrespect. Like you said, quite rightly, Paul is certainly one of our generation's uh, greatest ever point guards. He's you know, an absolute floor leader and fierce competitor. And again, a bit of an old school guy, which we kind of both like and gravitate to. It's just whether or not teams at this stage in his career are willing to take on that contract. And ultimately, you know, does it outweigh the injury prone concerns at, at this stage? Dare I say it, it, it's a very next contract and a next decision to trade for a player in that in that lease of life, should we say, um, a somewhat diminishing superstar. Um, so from your standpoint, I don't know who's more likely to sign him um, between the Bulls and the Knicks. I, I'd probably gravitate more towards yourselves um, because of the, what you've done in the past, obviously, with, with players like Tracy McGrady and, and you know, the history that you have there in, in signing players at, at the latter end of their careers. But... Who knows, mate? It's um, it's one of those that will be, as you say, very interesting to see. To gravitate back to to Bulls trades and and to move on finally to to the the heart over head point a little bit earlier. Someone who we're constantly rumoured to re-sign because he obviously wants to to end his career with the Bulls is Derek Rose. Um, and apologies <laughs> to keep Here banging on about him. Bang, I don't think I can go about without about 15 minutes without mentioning his name. <laughs> but yeah, whether it's the right time is very, very debatable. But I still think it's it would provide such a morale uplift to the city that if he was able to rejoin the Bulls and provide, even if it's as a sixth man, which I think is you know where he wants to be in his career now, he would be able to take some of that offensive load off of Zach Levine if healthy. And yeah, it would just it would just be an incredible second chapter. His obvious weaknesses would obviously be his, his, his proneness to injury. The pressure to perform back in Chicago would, would be another factor. And he might even want more of a central role being back in that ball setup than he would maybe be willing to give him. I think when he has blossomed uh, in the Tibbs setup of the Timberwolves, for instance, from a, from a point guard standpoint, he seems to thrive when he has potentially the biggest responsibility on offense and he's able to take maybe more shots than is wise, should we say. And I'd also worry about what he'd do to Kobe White's progression. Obviously, the, the benefits of Chris Paul is that I think in terms of leadership and in terms of playing the right way as a point guard, you might go out, you'd pretty positively say that, that, that Chris Paul would be able to do that in a slightly better way. Derek Rose has never been the type of point guard who's passed first. And I don't think Kobe White is either. And, you know, he's being put into that position, but I think he plays at this stage much more like a shooting guard. So I think Rose would do more to re-emphasize those habits of, of being a shooting guard for Kobe White, which at this stage in his career, could be very negative if, it, if we are pushing him to that point guard spot. But Rose has done very, very well for the Pistons this year, averaging 18.2 points per game, 2.5 rebounds, 5.8 assists, and you know shooting 49% from the field, which is, which is pretty fantastic, and 30.6% from three, which is obviously the big jump in his game. So it's difficult to say. I mean, they're both very injury prone. Do I think they're, they're either of them are particularly perfect fits and something that I think jumps off the page in terms of trades for us to make us better? No, not really. I mean, yes, you could have maybe one or two years of benefits of being back in the playoffs with those two, I think is, is a, 
a relative cert with the rest of the roster, which would be fantastic. But like you say, patience is key in this and, and building the right way and, and giving those younger players the, the space they need to grow. So there's no certains from our end at all. What about yourself, mate? Is there any, any, other, any other trades coming from the Knicks that you're either liking the look of or, or hearing rumours of? There's been a little bit of speculation. We're actually going to stay with your balls and stay in Chicago, bud. Um, basically surrounding uh, Larry Markinen. Obviously, despite showing much promise and potential, as you well know, uh, marketing regressed this season, just averaging just under 15 points and 6.3 rebounds. From my standpoint, I really like the fit. The Knicks need shooting. That is no secret at all. Markkinen is a capable seven-foot shot maker. I think he would space the floor and ultimately complement other players on the team in RJ and Mitchell Robinson. I think that Markkinen thrives in the, in the pick-and-pop game. This could be advantageous in the pick-and-roll with Robinson. And I think it could prove a formidable offensive dynamic for the Knicks, who, as again, sorely needed a shot maker this past season. I think that the main strengths is that Markkinen fits the Knicks' young core timeline. I think it would take pressure off of RJ and it would space the floor allowing for more driving lanes RJ I think he's still got a lot to improve upon regarding you know getting that consistent jump shot but he is a slasher and if you've got someone who can space the floor and open up those driving lanes I think it would open up for more scoring opportunities for the Knicks and it would come easy for RJ the weaknesses, I think that the, the ball's asking price may be too steep for a trade to materialise. They may view other Knicks assets as more appealing. I've, I've actually put in this, uh, in this trade um, that Randall would be going the other way. I don't know if that's even going to be feasible in terms of salary. Um, no, thank you. <laughs> I didn't think I didn't think you'd like that too much, but uh, I, I just thought yeah you were so high on him previously. You know I thought I'd throw him in there for you. Oh, um, so high. <laughs> it would be almost the perfect thing for you because obviously having the losing of Porzingis, getting someone like Markkinen, who obviously early in his career was was compared to someone like him, would be fantastic. And you'd kind of fill that wound with his addition. Do I think the Bulls would want to get rid of him? No. For that exact reason, I just think that there's so much promise there that we'd be very silly and to get rid of him. And like yourselves with Porzingis, I think we'd come come to regret it quite quickly. And I, I don't I don't see it happening. But, you know, weirder things have happened. So you're basically saying that you wouldn't take Julius Randle. That's fine. I understand. I can I get it. <laughs> I think you'd have to do terrible things to me for me to put Julius Randle on that roster. <laughs> and that's, that's no disrespect to him, but I just don't, I don't think he fits in, in any way um, with kind of what we're, we're trying to do in the offence that we, that we have. Um, I just don't think his skill set fits at all. Um, so, yeah, I, I, it wouldn't be, wouldn't be one that I'd be looking to press the green button on. <laughs> if you enjoyed our pod so far, please do subscribe to us via SoundCloud and Spotify. We have a lot of exciting interviews coming up with Brendan Okorunkwo, shooting guard of the Solent Kestrels team that made its way to the finals of the BBL Trophy and dominated EBL Div 1 going undefeated, Pat Boylan of the Pacers and Indiana Fever, and Josh Bett, FIBA commentator, who has been putting some great content on the history of the BBL teams recently. We look forward to having you join us.